Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy, which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I'm here today with someone we've been waiting to speak to for quite a while. It's Jenny McGibbon of This Thing We Call Recovery. Jenny lives with MECFS. She's a graphic designer and artist. You may be very familiar with her work at this point. And we're so excited to speak to her all the way from the UK. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm really excited to have a conversation and raise some awareness. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure for me. And I love hearing from artists in this community, especially because I feel like you guys are sharing your stories in very personal ways, but not everyone necessarily like knows the full backstory. So to be able to give you a platform to really share that um, is super exciting and to learn more about you. So I know everyone who's tuning into this episode is going to be excited as well. So thank you for being here. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I wondered if we could start at the very beginning. I know this can be sort of traumatic in the retelling. So whatever you're comfortable sharing with us, I would love for you to be able to tell us when and how you first realized you were sick and how you've tried to take control of your health since your diagnosis. So I've sort of been sick forever. I was born with a birth defect called gastroschisis, which is where the abdomen wall doesn't form properly and I basically had a hole in my abdomen and my intestines were on the outside and they started to die off so a bit of a dramatic start yeah for real and um I had to have sections of both intestines removed and then basically stuff was stuffed back in and I was sewn up so that was sort of the the start of everything and basically being reconstructed as a a soft doll (laughs) Yeah, basically. I mean, I don't, my organs aren't in the right place. I don't know where stuff is, like things like my wow. appendix. I don't have a clue where that is. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Something, something to note. Um, so that was sort of the beginning. And then for the first few years of my life, I was in and out of hospital a lot. Obviously have no recollection of that. But from say about the age of two to about 16, 
I lived fairly normally. I was fairly healthy. I had the odd complication here and there where I had hospital stays um, to do my intestines and the troubles with them. But generally, it was fine. And then basically, I got to 16 and that's where everything sort of turned upside down and my health went a bit haywire and I started getting a lot of problems with my intestines. And it was sort of those medical mystery type situations where I was passed from person to person and specialist to specialist and no one had any idea really what what was wrong with me I was confusing everybody I was complicated you know my notes are absolutely massive yeah so it was like a complex problem and I mean I was really really unwell for years I had what turned out to be chronic internal bleeding from my intestines for (gasps) years for years well that's pretty exceptional that you survived that for a start so yeah we know you're a fighter yeah yeah so I had iron deficiency anemia caused by that um and we knew that and we were sort of trying to manage it but the doctors were saying it was sort of like trying to fill a bucket with a hole in the bottom because Mm. I was bleeding from somewhere and they just couldn't really work out where or why and I was way to instill confidence in you in the medical system at that point I'd be so scared when you're telling a 16 year old is just trying to live their life yeah I know um it was it was a wild time and to be honest I don't actually remember all that much of it I'm sure my mom could tell you much more because I was just so unwell I just wasn't coherent enough to know what was going on um which probably a blessing in disguise yeah I was gonna say it's probably a good thing looking back but um yeah I was just in and out of hostel weekly you know all the time while still at school I mean I wasn't really going to school I was either in bed or at hostel but you know we were I was trying and um, yeah, I never really got answers. I never got a name for what was happening to me. It was just complications from the surgeries at birth, supposedly. Um, but it sort of mellowed itself out. It seems like that particular problem um, might reappear. Who knows? But um, for now, that's that's stable. Um, but after dealing with that for several years, when I was 19, I then just knew something else was wrong um you know I was having treatments I was having iron infusions and things like that for the anemia and generally they helped a little bit I felt you know my fatigue was a bit better things like that and then this one time I was 19 and I went on holiday with my family and I had a big bleed while I was there I had to go to hostel and it was a whole saga um but after that I just felt different I just knew something was happening and I said to my mom at the time actually you know it's weird because my legs are hurting she was like your legs and mm. I was like yeah just my all my legs and that I mean I'm 26 now and my legs still hurt it's never got away little did uh-huh. I know back then that this was going to be a continuous thing and I think my body just had had enough I you know lots of people get any after a viral onset which as far as I know, that's not how I got it. I think my body was just very overwhelmed with everything that was happening to it. And in hindsight, I was pushing it too far. But no one told me not to, I think, because yeah. it had been a slow progress and I was confusing everyone and I was getting passed from person to person. No medical professional actually told me to slow down or stop working or rest. And I think it's, it might sound silly to someone that's never dealt with it, but I think when you get sick over a longer period of time, you almost forget how sick you actually are you don't realize quite how far from normal you are now well everything's so, so relative isn't it so yeah when you're so in you the thick of it yeah it. and no one I didn't know any different and my you know my family and stuff didn't know any different because no one was telling us you know to rest or whatever I just 
naively thought they'd fix it, whatever it was. You know, I thought once they find out what's wrong, I'll be fine. But obviously, that's not that's not how it goes a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, I ended up with ME. I think just because I I pushed my body too far, and I told the hematologist I was seeing at the time. You know, this isn't working anymore. There's something else wrong. And he basically told me to get over myself, <laughs> um, and <sighs> that I. I had to just accept that this was my body and that it was different and I was going to deal with this for my life, the rest of my life. And he told my mum, you know, stop dragging her around hospitals as if we were doing it for fun, you know. And as Um, if she were enabling you in some way. I know, bizarre. I mean, thank goodness she did drag me. I mean, I I wasn't capable of doing anything myself or organise anything. If she hadn't taken me to all these appointments, I wouldn't have got any answers. So thank goodness we didn't listen to him. Yeah. But isn't that a common story too? I mean, this is a narrative that we hear over and over, particularly from women, you know, that there is at least one doctor along the way who tells you it's in your head and to get over it and move on and sort of keep calm and carry on. And Mm. how are you supposed to know anything different? Yeah, I I know. And I think when you're healthy, you sort of assume that people that are sick go to doctors and the doctors listen and believe you and they fix it and they treat you and then you're better. Whereas in reality, that's not the case all the time. And with my work, I speak to an awful lot of people with a, a varied range of conditions. It's not just this one. Um, and I don't know anyone, I don't think, that's not had to really fight either for a diagnosis or to be believed or for fair treatment or whatever it might be. It's a real struggle people have to go through. And, you know, I, I know I did, you know, for yeah. years trying to get answers and it felt like no one was listening. And yeah. I think people, you know, I was young and I was a young girl and I just think they thought I was, I don't know, being dramatic or... Yeah, you know, being hormonal, know. being emotional, all those know, things. You just, you know yourself and you know when something's not right. And I knew something wasn't right and it, it turns out it wasn't and there were there were additional problems. Mm. Um, and I just I just knew it. I didn't know how I knew it, but I just knew it. I was like, there's, some, there's something else. You have to find it. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, and since then I've... My ME is what now impacts my life the most. Um and because there's no safe treatment options for it, there's no cure, there's not really anything. You know, I've been very lucky. I have very understanding GPs. Um, my local doctors are really, really good, but they can only do so much as medicine allows. And I feel like I'm sort of waiting for research and things to catch up because they you can't are. do all that. Yeah, I mean, they can't do all that much for me. I mean, they believe me, they want to help me. But in terms of treating what is actually wrong, they, they don't know. So I just find I manage it best myself and um, I just deal with it day to day and pace myself and and we go from there and it's been 10 years now that I've been sick and here I am still still sick but but still here so yeah um, also true I mean it's it's so frustrating I mean hearing the story it makes me frustrated for you and I'm not even living in your body you know so (laughs) I, I I sympathize as much as I can with you know the position that you're in and and um you know, especially with something like MECFS, where so many doctors don't even want to acknowledge that it is a diagnosable condition, you yeah. know, let alone be able to treat it where we don't know necessarily where it begins. Mm-hmm. Um, and here you are with, you know, having the onset when you are, for many of us, at our busiest and, and yeah. you know, working really hard in school and trying to achieve yeah. and, and growing and being in relationship with people that hormones are affecting and <laughs> you know like all that time of life I mean it's often the onset for illness for so many people that I talk to on the show is like either um, at the end of high school or into college university yeah. you know 
Um, and it's that age in that like 16 to 19 age range. So how long did it actually take you to get the MECFS diagnosis? Because we know this is one that many doctors won't even diagnose as it is. Yeah, so I I actually was fairly lucky with that. It took probably under a year to get it, but because I basically I found ME online and I just thought this this is it. This is what I have. Um to start with I found fibromyalgia online and I thought well this sort of fits but it's not quite right. And then from that that's where I I found ME and I had never heard of it before in my life. Um, for many people, I think with ME, you you don't know, no one knows about it unless you have it or you are close to someone that does. Generally, people don't know what it what it is. And I mean, I don't blame anyone for that because there isn't much information out there and there's a lot of misconceptions. And, you know, so, yeah, I didn't I didn't know about it until I found it online. And, you know, there was a massive list of symptoms and I ticked off every one. And I just knew I was like, this is what's wrong with me. This is the answer. And so we just kept going back and I just, you have to demand sometimes to, to be seen or to be referred and not, not have no as an answer, you know, keep, keep pushing back. Sometimes, you know, you might be worried you're going to be like the awkward patient or whatever, but I mean, that doesn't exist. You deserve help and care and sometimes you have to push for it. And that's not rude. You know, that's, that's not you being ungrateful for the help that you have had it's just reality just sometimes you've got to push quite hard um and it can feel quite unnatural I think particularly at a young age (laughs) I don't know like these are adults I I I trusted them to to help a lot of the time and it felt weird to push against that and say you know what I think you're wrong and I think I have the answer and I think I found it and then what a learning curve as a teenager (laughs) I know you're like you grow up fast (laughs) yeah Uh, Well, this is the thing is that you're facing your own mortality in many ways and these challenges to your health at such a young age, it does make you grow up faster. Like there's just no other way Mm. around it, is there? It's like immediately you're in dialogue with adults. There's nothing else you can do but rise to the occasion. Yeah, exactly. And you're dealing with such serious problems that, uh, and so quickly as well, you're just sort of thrown into it and you think, right, well, here we go. (laughs) You know, you've just got, you've just got to, you don't have an option. You know, people quite often say, oh, I don't know how you do it, but you just do. You just have to. It's not a choice that I've made. I just don't have the option to do anything else. Yeah. So you just so you just have to push. So that's what I did, and that's why it went through quite quickly to an ME specialist. Because I, I mean, if I hadn't have found that online, who knows? I maybe still wouldn't have the diagnosis to this day. Because it's yeah. only because I found it online, and I think you know quite often you're told like don't Google things because you'll scare yourself. Um, which is true and you know you have to take everything with a pinch of salt and you know just because some things meet and match it might not be that but it might be and I would rather investigate it and find out and I would rather bring it to someone's attention and I think it's a shame that quite often people are sort of shamed for that you know that you found it online like what are you doing searching through all that but if you're not getting answers anywhere else you know you, you, you want to find them somewhere so you do just end up searching through all these different conditions and talking to different people. And then sometimes something just clicks and you think, I found the answer before the doctors have. And I was going in and out of hospital for years um, and and I figured it out myself. And I think that's yeah. quite often what happens, you know, I think because you know yourself and you know what you're dealing with. And, and sometimes you do just have to sort of take control in that sort of way and stand up for yourself, I guess, a bit, which is difficult. I'm not trying to say it's easy. At all. And there's obviously different factors that come into play. I mean, I have a lot of privileges. I'm slim and I'm white and um, 
cisgender and all these sorts of things which definitely come into it so I'm not trying to say that it's dead easy just tell them that you know the answer and they'll listen to you you know (laughs) I don't think that's the case either Mm. um but it's a shame that just so many of us have to push so much and it's scary to think that you know how many people are living with conditions that they don't know about and they still don't have their diagnosis because they're not being listened to and it just so happens that they've not found it themselves yet you know through no fault of their own Right. I mean, I'm also kind of amazed. You mentioned that you were referred to an ME specialist. That's not something we hear about here in the U.S. There are integrative doctors who might work with patients who are dealing with chronic fatigue or ME-related, you know, um, symptoms. But the fact that you have that in the U.K., whether or not it's working, is kind of miraculous. I know. I mean, it's definitely not common. There is one in Scotland. um, There we go. He comes up. So, you know, it was an... um, it was luck, I think, and you know, it's not it's definitely not common by any means, and so many people have so many problems. And then yes, I seen an ME specialist and he gave me my diagnosis, but after that, there is nothing here. There is no support systems. There is you're just left to your own devices, sort of thing, to figure it out by yourself. And I was just so sure for years, once that once I know what it is, then that I thought that was the difficult part. I thought that was mm. going to be the problem. And then once you've got a name for it, that's you, you're fine. But actually now I've got a name for it, which I'm glad for because it's helped me meet so many people in a similar circumstance. So I'm it, you know, it has brought me things, but it's it's it has a limit and it's not entirely helpful. And there's mm. still, you know, there's not anything anyone is particularly doing for me other yeah. other than what I'm doing for myself. Well, what does that look like then? What does your day-to-day management look like and what kind of symptoms specifically? I know you mentioned you have pain in your legs. Obviously, there's fatigue related. Um, So what does that day-to-day look like for you? I mean, pain and fatigue are my two main symptoms. Um, Therefore, particularly fatigue is what impacts me the most because I find generally up until a certain level, obviously, I can you sort of push through pain you can sort of put that to the back of your mind sometimes obviously not always I'm, I'm generalizing here but um fatigue I find I just there's no pushing through that I just can't I, my body just goes into almost shutdown mode and it's quite scary sometimes to be honest so I mean I push myself too hard and by that I mean I was maybe on my laptop for too long I don't mean <laughs> I went for a run or something um and your body my brain just feels like it's shutting down and the body just feels like it's shutting down and you just know like okay I've I've pushed this um so really how I manage it is just by pacing myself and Mm. you learn I find I mean it's been years that I've been living with this so I know now roughly where my limits are and I really really try not to push them if if I can obviously sometimes life happens and something will come up and you have to but generally day to day I really try to not and I really try to live I really try to live within those limits as frustrating as it is it's not easy by any means um but I find that's what's most helpful for me you know rest trying to get real true rest physical rest emotional rest mental rest really trying to be kind to myself and go slow and none of that comes naturally to me I am a I am like your type a personality perfect it's always us it yeah, is always, always us. Always. We're the always. canaries in the coal mine. I don't know oh, why, but oh, it's always us. Uh, I know it's it's a common a common theme. So you know, none of that's easy, and it, I'm by by no means have I mastered it. You know, I'm not trying to say that I get this right all the time. And um, there's definitely days where I push it accidentally or on purpose, just because I want to try something. You know, sometimes you don't know until you try it, and then you learn, and then that's where you know 
where your limits are. So it can be a bit messy at times. It's not, you know, there's no rule book. No one, there's nothing to go off of because everyone's so individual. So until you try it for yourself or until yeah. you, you know, you just, you figure it out, I suppose. But that's sort of yeah. my, my day to day. I I just really try not to push it. And I find as long as I stay in the house, <laughs> it's manageable. It's anything. So lockdown has been familiar to you. Oh, yes. I'm very used to not going out. I'm used to not seeing friends. I'm used to, you know, working from home when I can. You know, none of that is new. I really didn't notice much of a difference when lockdowns and things happened. Like my day to day life really wasn't very different, Um, which I think for a lot of us sort of, it made us realise how different our life actually is to a lot of other people's because suddenly people were really struggling after like three days in the house. And I think, goodness me, I've got yeah. three months, not like more in the house yeah. and not really bad as an eye, you know? It's, yeah. it's strange. But um, yeah, I just find I have to be slow and considered with things and not push myself. And I think sometimes things like comfort zones get a bad reputation and, you know, you're told to push yourself outside your comfort zone and take a leap and you know do something make yourself uncomfortable that's how good stuff happens but actually I I, my comfort zone helps me and it helps me to do things and if I want to stay within it or if that's what's necessary for me then that's what I'm going to do and you know if that's what works for you then that's Mm. what works Um, I love that you say that yeah comfort zones are us yes yes there's nothing wrong with the comfort zone sometimes I feel like you know and it's sometimes frustrating and sometimes I really truly hate having to stay in it but you know it's not necessarily wrong you know and everyone's different and obviously everyone's comfort zone will be different and it will look different and it might look different day to day I mean my days vary so much and I think that's something that I struggle with the most is you don't know what your day is going to be like until you wake up I don't know what I'm going to feel like I can't plan but I also can't be spontaneous. So I don't really know what to do with that a lot of the time. You know, it's somewhere in between. You sort of make loose plans so you can plan in rest and things like that. But mm. maybe it gets to the day and I still can't do it. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. You just have to roll with it. I'm wondering as well, because you sound like you're so empowered, you know, in these lifestyle adjustments that you've had to make since you got oh. sick, you know, that like you you I mean you mentioned that you have a certain amount of privilege right in the way that you present yeah. in the world that's one thing but it also sounds like you have a support system that's enabling you to make these decisions that are best for you and I'm I'm curious to know sort of how that's presented in your life you know it sounds like your mom was an advocate for you early on um and yeah. and how those relationships have impacted or, or your diagnosis has impacted those relationships as well as you've sort of navigated that emotional world with the people around you. Yeah, I think my mom is definitely like my biggest advocate. I honestly don't know what I would have done like if she hadn't have pushed everything and kept all the notes and pushed for me and took me to appointments and helped me with forms and all these sorts of things. I, I really, I, I know I'm so lucky to have that because not everyone does have an advocate like that. And um, truly, I don't know what I would have done without her. Um, but it does impact things because obviously I've I've been sick my my whole life and and she's been dealing with that. So I am, you know, she sees me as sick because I am, and I think it's it's sort of difficult when you grow up sick and you go from a sick child to a sick adult, but your life doesn't really reflect the fact that you're now an adult. You know, my life is the same. I still live at home. You know. And not much has changed in that regard. So it's sort of a difficult thing for, for all of us to navigate, I think, the fact that 
I am an adult now, even though I don't necessarily live like one. And it's weird. The boundaries are different and, you know, it's, it's complex. It's complicated. And I think illness does impact all your relationships, whether it's like your family dynamic or your friendships or your relationships or whatever it might be. And I think it does just even if all the impacts aren't negative, I'm not trying to say they are, you know, there's definitely some positive impacts too, but it does change things and your mm. relationships are, are are different or they can be sometimes, not always, but they can be. So I think that's something we've sort of had to navigate together is, you know, where are the boundaries now? Because I'm, I'm older, I'm an adult, I maybe don't necessarily need as much of her help with things, but then sometimes I do, you know, I need more help than maybe the average 26 year old. So you know, I think it's just about communicating and just, mm. you know, if, if as things change, you, you go with it and you try to be as open about that as possible. But I mean, it's difficult. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I've been really lucky. I've got a few really good friends that they've stuck with me the whole way. You know, I've known them my whole life and they are very understanding. And my boyfriend's very understanding. He just gets it. <laughs> um, I don't know how he does it, but he's just brilliant. Um and so I've been very lucky and the, the close people that I have, um, obviously you lose people along the way and, you know, you drift from people because your life's going in a totally different direction. And, you know, it's, I've had negative experiences as well, but generally I have a few key people that have sort of stuck by me and they're, they're still there and they've kind of seen it all. Um, and I'm glad that they're still here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, obviously you've been through a grieving process with some of those relationships with your relationship Mm -hmm. to yourself. Um, You're using language like the word boundaries, you know, it sounds to me like that sound, that's the language of someone who's had mental health support. And I'm curious about (laughs) what that's looked like for you as well, because often mental health support isn't offered alongside the physical. Um, And has, has that played a role in, in your journey as well? Yeah, for sure. Not at the moment. My mental health is stable at the moment. It's not something that I struggle with. Um, But I have in the past, you know, for a few years, years ago, I suffered from depression and I've suffered from anxiety before. So um, it's it's strange. I feel like you sort of almost go through periods of time and it's sort of in chunks. I, I like I tend to find there's different things I've dealt with for a period of maybe a few years. And then, you know, that maybe turns into something else. And then so for me, I'm stable at the moment and I've, you know, I'm very lucky in that regard that things like my depression isn't something, you know, that's not on my radar. It's not something I have to keep in check. I, I don't know why. I don't know why things got better. How? I don't know. Um, you know, I tried different medications. They didn't really work. I tried different um, like therapies and things. They didn't really do anything. And I don't know, somewhere along the way, things got better I don't know how or why um but they did and so Mm. you know I have dealt with that in the past but it's not something that I deal with now you know in the future who knows but I think I think at the moment everything I just think you get into a bit of a rhythm with with chronic illness sometimes and I think I've just got to a place now where I just know what I need and and because of the support systems I have in place and because I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways I feel able to say these are my boundaries and this is my limit and I am not going to push that like I can't I like it's dangerous for me to so as much as I can I'm going to try not to and so far it's working so (laughs) I'm just going to keep keep 
trying and we'll see I mean obviously there's difficult periods and sometimes it's a lot harder mentally than others you know sometimes there'll be you mentioned like a grief sort of process and I think that's not linear you know sometimes I feel like I've sort of accepted my chronic illness and the fact that I will be living with with illness to some degree you know forever um but it's not it's not like you get to that place and then that's just you and that's just it and that's from then on you're just accepting of it I mean that's not what happens I think I I sort of I acknowledge rather than accept I feel like because I don't feel fully accepting of what I have to deal with I don't like it I'm not grateful for it but Mm. it's brought me things and it's made me the person I am and I'm a very realistic person that's what helps me um personally you know I it's not all positives but it's not all negatives either there's Mm. a mix and I try to be really honest about both sides of that you know that's what I do online and I think that's why people resonate with my work is because it's really honest and it's you know I'll share if I'm going through a rougher time and I'm saying you know this is really difficult I'm angry (laughs) at at the moment you know I'm sad I'm frustrated I miss things I miss people you know I'll, I'll say that because it's it's true and I think so often people are sort of told that you can share positives but then it's awkward to share the negatives and you should keep them to yourself whereas actually I'm just being honest like I don't necessarily view it as being negative I'm just it just so happens that I'm dealing with something that's difficult and just like anything else it's you know I'm not necessarily sharing for someone to fix it I'm just sharing and I think that's where a miscommunication happens sometimes particularly between sick people and healthy people is you know healthy support systems and people you know they feel the need to fix things or they don't know what to say because if I share something negative maybe they feel the need to counteract that with something positive whereas actually I'm not asking for that at all I'm just Mm. sharing just like anyone else would share maybe come home from work and say that you've had a bad day you don't expect anyone to fix that you just wanted to say that you had a bad day and that's that's all I'm just doing the same it's just Mm. I think because it's chronic and it's long term people you know, I get it, it's awkward, like, but you know, we don't know how to talk about these things because people generally don't. And it's like this cycle, isn't it, of it's it's uncomfortable to talk about, so we don't, but then it's never going to get more comfortable. So yeah. you know, I think that in our in our personal circles as well, but then obviously in the wider society as well, I think there needs to be much more nuanced conversation about what sickness is like, particularly when you're living with it long term. You know, I mm. I would rather be able to share the scope of that experience because it varies so much from person to person or from day to day and it's such a mix that I think it's it's such a shame for people not to be able to share that and there's definite barriers in place that stop people from doing that and I just wish they weren't there yeah I, you're absolutely right I mean that's so well observed um this need to normalize these conversations and to like yeah. just let it be sometimes because yeah. All any of us want is just to be heard, whether that's good or bad. We no judgment yeah. on it. We just want to be able to express ourselves. Yeah, I think just sharing sometimes and it's not you're not expecting anything really to come from the conversation. And I think that's such a great way for people to show support to someone. If it doesn't have to be illness, it might be something like grief or, you know, stress or what if someone's going through something, I think really people just want the space to be able to share that and to know that someone's there and will listen and you don't necessarily have to do anything about it. You know, like, you know, just being able to share, that's enough. You know, the other day I was um, I was working on different things and I was gearing up to start this new job, actually. And um, the last few weeks I've been able to read a little bit more before bed and I was really enjoying it. But um, I was saying to my boyfriend, Ryan, that 
once I start this new job, I probably won't be able to read before bed anymore. And instead of saying, oh, don't be silly, like, yes, you yes, you will, or, oh, we'll find a way, or, yes, get, you know, we'll figure it out. He just says, yeah, probably. And mm-hmm. that was so helpful to me. That's all I needed. I just wanted to share, like, oh, it's a shame, like, I probably won't be able to read as much. And he just knew that that's true. Like, it's a negative, yes. And mm-hmm. I, I view it as a negative as well. You know, I'll miss it. But it's not going to drastically change just because we want it to. And it, it was helpful for me to just share that and he just agreed and I think that he gave you validation yeah 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 it's such a it's such a it's like simple on one hand but also so complicated because we're taught we're not taught really to communicate in that sort of a way like generally we have such an instinctive need to relate I think and to fix things and I think if you can't relate you know that's why people scramble for oh I my neighbor's auntie's friend had that condition once you know that's where that comes from (laughs) people are scrambling for this need to relate and they don't know what to say so they just need to fill that void with something whereas actually you can just agree with someone that what they're going through is difficult and there you go job's done that's yeah (laughs) that's all we needed that's all yeah that's all any of us need actually whether it's in relation to sickness or, or anything else yeah I mean I'm interested too because this is a discussion about really like being able to acknowledge what isn't visible right you know and yeah and that's a great example of your boyfriend being like yeah mm-hmm, and just accepting what he yeah. maybe can't see but understands mm-hmm. and I wonder about situations in which you've been confronted and forced to justify the existence of your diagnosis to people who just didn't get it because they couldn't see it I mean do you find that the invisibility factor here is an additional hurdle that you have to jump through in order to be seen by people for everything and every one that you are yeah, I think it's definitely a, a barrier there and I think it is difficult for people to understand I mean I've like I said, I've been quite lucky in my personal kind of um, group of people, like friends and things, you know, generally they're they're pretty good. But I think in terms of having to justify my illness, it's it's more systems I feel like I've had to justify to instead of individuals in my life. Things like the healthcare system, you know, trying to justify that I might look fine to you, but I am telling you there is something wrong and I feel a certain way and I there is a problem somewhere just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there and just because we've not found it yet doesn't mean it's not there I think that was a big thing for me and then the other major one is when I was applying for um through the benefits process here um was a major issue for me I had massive massive problems I mean it's not easy for people even with very visible disabilities it's just a, a very flawed system um but I really had to justify myself and fight so hard and you know again my mum helped me so much and she came to the assessments with me and she filled out all my forms but it was I guess it was the first time where I'd really in black and white written down and sat down and thought about all the things that I cannot do for myself day to day it was very confronting and a difficult process that's not easy to send all that information off to someone and yeah. then I am um, then I'd go for an assessment and I just knew straight off the bat that I am not being believed here because I look fine. I mean, I if I go out the house and I can, you know, pass perfectly easily as a perfectly healthy person, which has definite privileges because if I want to pass under the radar in a certain situation, I can, and that is a definite privilege. But it also has issues attached to it as well, whereas you have, you have to push really hard, just, you know, symptoms like fatigue, for example. I mean... 
I think you can tell when I'm tired. Like I think I look tired and people close to me know, you know, they'll catch on. But if someone doesn't know you, you know, they're not going to pick up on that sort of thing. And I had to really, really push and I wasn't believed and my words were twisted and it was a really demeaning, demoralising, awful, awful process. And they ended up not giving me anything and then we had to fight for that and then justify everything again. And then they sort of gave me a very, very small amount um, and then they took that away. And I just didn't, I just didn't have it in me anymore to do anything else with it. And I think that sort of experience sticks with you and it has such an impact and it definitely impacts how I feel as a disabled person. Because for years, I didn't know I could actually call myself disabled. <laughs> I didn't know I could use you know, resources and things aimed at disabled people that would help me. I didn't feel like I qualified, you know. Is it because you're basically, there. you're not because in the told picture? I was told I wasn't, yeah. But also I, it's yeah. like the picture that we see is always a wheelchair, isn't it? It's like, are you disabled if you don't necessarily require a mobility aid too? Like yeah, we question that. So much more awareness around what disability can mean and what it can look like, because that was such a turning point for me when I realized, hang on a minute, like I, I am disabled and Obviously, not everyone is going to identify with that word, but I do, and I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't think it's a bad word. It's, it's that just is what I am. And um, now that I know that, I felt able to push more for my needs to be met because there's such a grey area where I didn't feel like I could push, and I didn't know what the the kind of legislations or whatever were like. What I had access to, I didn't know I could have certain provisions in place because I didn't know anything about disability to be honest um, I mean I was a kid before I got sick so you know if I didn't have personal experience of it how would I really know but that's the thing like we need more awareness so that people know that disability can look like anything and it can yeah. look like anyone and you know that's such a that would make such a massive difference to people in their everyday life if they were met with that sort of view that people just believed you that okay you say you need this cool I'll try my best to provide you with that you know it'd be so much easier but instead you've just got to fight for everything and it's exhausting and I think when you're sick anyway I mean more often than not you can't you can't do anything about it it's like you know they make it so difficult (laughs) everywhere (laughs) um Hmm. yeah yeah that was a big turning point for me and I only a few years ago I used a disabled toilet for the first time in a restaurant and I was I think I was I was 24 maybe and my, I was with my mum and I asked her if she thought it would be okay if I used the disabled toilet. And she was like, well, Jenny, you need it. Like, if you need it, if it's going to help you. Because my problem is I could physically get down the stairs, but I would really struggle to get myself back up. So depending on, you know, the energy I'd spent that day or whatever. So, you know, things do stick with you. And even though I know better and I know logically that I am deserving of that and that would help me and it's perfectly fine for me to use that. There's just, it sticks with you that, oh, am I allowed? Or yeah. like you said, like, I don't look like the little symbol on the thing. And I was just so worried that everyone at every table was going to look at me funny, like when I walked in or I was really worried about walking back out and having to walk back to my table. And I was like, oh my goodness, like people are going to comment because that does happen to so many people. Luckily, it didn't happen to me. Um, and I've not really left the house much since. So I've not had a need to do it again, but I, I think I would. Um, I would probably use it again because I I have a right to. And I just yeah. think it's just, that's such a turning point to believe that in yourself, I think. Even 
if logically you know better because other opinions and things they do stick with you and you almost have to forcefully consciously push that idea to the side and say no I need this this is going to help me so I'm going to use it and if someone thinks differently then that's their problem but I know better so yeah. obviously it's not that easy in that moment when you're worried people are going to comment no of course not I mean and because yeah. we hear horror stories like that all the time people being judged yeah you know because yeah, of the I mean, way they appear common yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's such a common issue Okay, guys, I want to talk about coaching. I recently connected with an awesome executive and life coach, and her name is Jenna Chieko, a graduate of Dr. Martha Beck's program with a background in psychology and law. She's a former tech general counsel and chief of staff who also worked for the Obama administration. Jenna inspires clients to step into their best lives by helping them access their inner strengths, clear the cobwebs holding them back, and cultivate a dream big growth mindset. She is also a life Sherpa for navigating change. You know who I know who has big dreams and is navigating massive changes now more than ever with coronavirus? We Spoonies. Jenna works virtually and she's offering 10% off to new clients who enroll and mention code INVISIBLE. Her rates are reasonable and she's dedicated to help us rise to the top. Go to jennachieco.com, that's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com for more. Well, and I wonder as well, because like you mentioned earlier, that you recognize your own privilege, that you're white and you're slim and you're cisgender, you know, going into, be it a disabled toilet or the healthcare system, right? Mm -hmm. What about people who present differently? You know, do you think that your circumstances of being diagnosed, um, finding the empowerment to stand up for yourself and what you needed, do you think that narrative might have been different if perhaps you presented differently to other people, maybe if you were a person of color, if you were, um, you know, maybe not cisgender, like, what do you think, how do you think that would affect that, that story for you? I think, I mean, most likely would have had an impact. Um, Obviously I can only speak from my personal experience, but um, I know for a fact that I would have struggled in a hospital setting in particular where, I had to push and you know I wasn't believed because I was young and I was a young woman and my mum wasn't believed because she was a woman and she was sort of labelled as a hysterical mother and I know for a fact we would have been spoken to very differently if it was my dad sitting there and not my mum you know straight off the bat that would have been different Um, but it also could very well probably would have been different if I wasn't white or if I wasn't slim and you know I hear so many stories of of people because I talk to so many different people with, with illness and our experiences vary so much based on you know perceptions that people have you know based on maybe your size or you know your race or your gender or your sexuality or whatever it might be and there's so much bias in things like healthcare and I think quite often when people say that and they try to have this conversation you're sort of met with such disdain as if you're being really unappreciative or you think everyone that works within healthcare is awful which obviously is not the case but these systems they're not new like healthcare didn't just appear one day it's it's built off of all these old systems that were very much built on oppression and prejudice and that doesn't magically change through time you know that's it doesn't magically go away and if we're not going to talk about it and if we're not going to confront the fact that that is still very much happening then, you know, how is it ever going to be any different? I have some great experiences in healthcare and I have some friends that work in healthcare and they are brilliant and they are great at their job. And I've met some amazing people that work in healthcare. So I know that it's not, you know, it's not everyone, but that doesn't mean there's not a problem. 
and it doesn't mean that that problem is a very serious one and it is costing people their lives and I just think if we're not going to admit that that's there then you know change isn't going to happen and people need it to you know much much more than me you know people need it to happen for lots of different reasons and I think it just you we're criticizing a system but I think that's viewed as being negative but actually you criticize something because you believe it can be better and you hope that it can be better and that is a positive you know you see a difference you know a possibility that things could be different and you're pushing for that change and I don't think that's a negative thing at all even Mm. if you know criticizing you it you know some people might think it's complaining but it but it's not it's just being honest about problems and and bias that exists and you know it's not trying to say that you know people that work in healthcare are you know everyone's bad and I'm not trying to blanket statement everything but it's like any system you know it's the same as the education system or the criminal justice system or what you know whatever it might be they're all built off previous systems and they all include bias and you know it's not going to go away until we recognize the fact that that is absolutely there and it's not up for debate yeah I I think that's so well said um and I wonder as well these systems you know that create racial inequality gender inequality size inequality I mean Mm -hmm. so many different biases that exist in the system would you say that they are in the healthcare system at least their own public crisis yeah for sure I mean or public health crisis I should say yeah it has it has such a devastating impact on people and and so many people it's such a widespread issue this isn't something that just exists in little pockets it's throughout the whole system and around the world you know it's not you know you're we're on different continents and I'm sure we have you know, we've experienced similar things or we know people that have experienced similar things, even though our healthcare systems are completely separate. It's an issue that's so widespread um, that it's, it's definitely a crisis, you know. Mm. And and what about your healthcare system as well? Because I know, you know, you're in Scotland, you're on the NHS. Um, mm. In what ways is that system working for patients? Because we're talking about ways in which it's falling short and and could be improved because we want we believe in it being better, which I love that yeah. you you point that out. But um, are there ways in which the system is working or isn't working that we haven't talked about yet? I mean, I'm very lucky here for having the National Health Service because you know I can go to a hostel and it doesn't cost me anything. I mean, you know, you it's at point of contact. I don't pay anything for it, mm. um, and it's not perfect and there are like we said a a lot of things that could change and but I recognize that what I have is a luxury to to many people it's you know it falls short a lot of the time but the fact that it's there in the first place is something that I'm grateful for and it's saved my life multiple times and it's saved multiple people I know multiple times and I'm glad that it's there and I just would like to build on it and for it to be more funded and you know, more heavily staffed and things like that, you know, it, it has issues, but I'm definitely lucky that it's, that it's there. I don't take it for granted at all. You know, it's, it's a service that we're lucky to have. Um, and I, and that you've also been taught that healthcare is a human right, which we don't get that here in the U.S. No. <laughs> I know, I know it's definitely, it, it's definitely a plus and, and it's, I mean, it's just so different around the world and, 
I you know you hear stories and I just can't believe what it's what it's like you know um so I'm very very lucky and I think a lot of people particularly if it's not really how to use it very much don't really recognize actually how how powerful it could be Mm. um I've had to use it a lot um throughout my life and I don't even want to think about how much all those tests and all those procedures and all those stays would have cost I just can't even imagine the number and the fact that I could do that and I had access to that um without a doubt saved my life you know I I owe my life to it well and there also seems to be aside from the acknowledgement that healthcare is a human right and and Mm -hmm. you are taught that you know in, in your culture it's also that even if you don't depend on the healthcare system now, it's there for you when you do need it. There's an acknowledgement yeah. that everyone's going to rely on it at some point too in all of yeah. that, isn't there? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people it's maybe taken as a bit of a given because, you know, if if you didn't know different, if you've grown up with it, you just know that it's there and you don't really think too much of it. Um and it's not until you maybe need it at, you know, short notice in an emergency that you realise, thank goodness it is there for when for when we need it um and I think you know healthy people perhaps assume that they're they can rely on that um which you know we we know that you can't you know things can change and things happen and life happens and at some point everyone's going to need help you know help healthcare in some way or another um everyone needs it so yeah I, I totally agree that it you know we're very lucky to have what we have because it serves so many different people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I suppose the hope is that it would help reduce bias because at least there it's free at the point of access, you know, and, and that there is access for everyone. But of course we know that there are deeper biases in place as we've discussed. I, I want to pivot now and talk about your work because that's really the reason we're here today. Right. <laughs> you know, um, you have, an amazing following online. Um, I found you on Instagram. You really are an advocate for the chronically ill and disabled community and show that through your work. So talk to us about what made you start speaking up in such a public way and creating work that serves this Spoonie community. Well, it was actually entirely by accident. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to be a, a thing. happy accident. Oh, Yes, I'm very glad that I did it. And I'm very glad that it's going the way it's going. But I didn't mean it to at all. Um, so this thing they call recovery started as a blog. It was a personal blog. And I, I didn't intend anyone to read it. It was meant to be a hobby, basically. I was taking time out of uni for my health. And I was bored, you know. At, because as you as I got a little bit better, suddenly I was coherent enough to be aware of the fact that I couldn't do anything and suddenly felt boredom you know if I was at my worst I wasn't Mm. bored because I was too sick but I was in that sort of in-between stage where I wasn't well enough to actually do anything but you know I was bored and I was lonely and I didn't have anything to do and my previous hobbies yeah my previous hobbies were all very active you know I ran and I swam and and things like that and suddenly I couldn't do any of that and I was like oh I don't know what to do with myself and I was studying fashion branding at uni and my boyfriend said, well, why don't you start a blog? And this is back when fashion blogs were like all the rage. And I was like, well, I can't have a fashion blog because I've been in these pajamas for the last week since I last had a shower. <laughs> like, what? what am I going to do? What am I going but to if they're cute pajamas. But they weren't. They're not. They're, not. they're like a 10-year-old baggy t-shirt. That's like the reality of the situation. I am in the pajama club of that with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't want to write about that. 
he said well why don't you write about being sick and your experience of that and the only time I'd ever done it sort of online was for awareness day you know that was the extent of, of it I'd write about it once a year I'd make a Facebook post or something and I thought you know what maybe I do have more to say on that it turns out I had a lot more to say <laughs> because it's years down the line and I'm still doing it yeah but um yeah so it just started as something for me to do on the days where I felt like I could do something I'd write a paragraph here or there and I thought if anything it'll be a record of maybe times that are a little bit better or times where I'm getting worse again and you know all the blog posts are dated so I thought if anything I can go to the doctor and I'll have a record of these months yeah. better worse and it might help me sort of figure out what was going on um so that was it that was all that it was meant to be and you know my mum read it and that was you know I was fine with that <laughs> and then at this point I still wanted to work in the fashion industry so that was my plan and then I went back to uni and I finished that and then I went to college to do graphic design still intending to work in fashion so everything I was making at college I geared towards a portfolio in that sort of space so that was that was what I was doing but then on the side I was learning so much about chronic illness and disability and this is when I was learning that I was disabled actually and I could you know I could call myself that and that was fine Mm. and I just was so immersed in in the community and I was finding friends online and I just thought you know this is what I care about this is what I'm passionate about this is what makes me happy in a way you know it's like it's a negative thing that happened to me but meeting these people and talking to people and learning about this stuff was important to me so yeah I completely changed my mind and then I thought, well, what am I going to do now? Because I don't have anything remotely related to this industry whatsoever. I hadn't really been doing anything with the blog because I wasn't well enough. And when I was studying, you know, that was taking up all my energy. So I hadn't I hadn't really done much with it. But I thought I would set up social media accounts for the blog and I would use it as a digital sketchbook sort of thing just to practice, just to give me something that I can put in a portfolio when I finish college you know as anything it didn't matter what it was I just needed something you know because I didn't have anything and I was starting to freak out a little bit (laughs) and that's what it was for I just wanted to practice and I wanted to experiment with my style and different things like that and then it just sort of took off from there I really genuinely that was all it was meant to be I didn't expect it to be relatable to anyone else but it turns out it really is (laughs) yeah lo and behold (laughs) yeah funny that so um yeah there's turns out there's lots of people that relate to what I was writing about and making work about and it just sort of blossomed from there so I kept doing it while at college and it's sort of that's what I chose to do with any extra energy I had I made something for Instagram with it you know that's what I did yeah and uh, I'm so glad I did because now there's so many people in that community and it keeps growing and you know freelance work is building off the back of it and it's become what I do now you know I'm, I'm out of education now and the same they call recovery is my job you know that's what I do and I'm so glad and I'm so glad I never went down the path that I thought mm. I was going down yeah um, and sometimes it's just things that happen just you don't mean it to you don't expect it to you don't plan for it and then sometimes it just works out <laughs> and uh, you know it's working out mm. for me so far and I'm really enjoying it so you know I'm glad that I had this random thing happened to yeah. me and I'm glad that Ryan randomly told me hey I think you should start a blog and mm. here we are years later and it's still going I mean the blog not so much but the other parts the but other the parts. social media accounts I mean the big thing about this is that it has 
given you the spotlight to become an advocate that other people can lean on, can look to um, when they're navigating their own issues, you know, and, and find whether it's inspiration or comfort or, you know, somebody who gets it um, to be able to have found community and also be learning, actively learning from that community as, as you do. Um, It does become a gift. I mean, I hear one of my good friends in this community has said to me, you know, the price of admission is very high, but man, we wouldn't change it for a thing because the people that we meet, the stories that we're able to hear and share and and what we're able to give to one another is kind of priceless, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I always say that if, if I could click my fingers now and be healthy, I would do it. There is no doubt about it. But if I could go back and ensure that none of this happens to me, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it. Mm. I wouldn't go back because I've learned so much and I've met people and I think I'm a better person now. I mean, who knows? Same. I don't know what would have happened. But, you know, I, I'm... I'm not pleased that this happened to me and, and I'm not grateful for it, but it has happened to me and, you know, life's gone in a different direction. And while it's frustrating and it's definitely not all great, <laughs> um, it's not all bad either. And I, and I recognize both sides of it. So, no, I wouldn't, I, if I could change it presently, I would, but if I could change stuff that's happened to me in the past, I wouldn't, I would just leave it as it was, I think, because mm. it's brought me here and I'm, I'm quite happy at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is like, if it's gotten you to a place where you're able to find contentment or, um, yeah, given you a lesson that's been something that you'll carry with you and that has shaped who you are. I mean, you, you touched on it earlier that like this disability isn't your identity. It's, it's not the sum total of who you are, but it's yeah. a part of who you are and it's a very vital part of who you are and has informed the way you relate to the world and to other people and perhaps with more empathy and compassion because of your experiences. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to say that I am defined by my chronic illness, but that doesn't mean it's the total sum of who I am. And I think quite often people might view being defined by something that they deem to be negative to be a negative way to think about it. But I'm just quite neutral about being defined by my health condition because it's such a major part of my life and I've grown up with it I don't have a clue who I would be you know if this hadn't happened to me and if that's not a defining part of who you are then I don't know what is you know if if you can choose what you're defined by if you're defined by your job or a way that you live or a culture that you're in or whatever it might be you know this is this is how I know myself and I don't know myself any different so you know, being limited by something, absolutely, that's a negative. And, you know, I really don't like that part of it. But being defined by it, I'm fine with. That's fine by me because it's such a massive part of my life. And I just, I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to push it to the side. And and I don't feel like people should need to if they don't want to. I mean, obviously, everyone is going to have, you know, their own views on this. And I would never want to sway anyone else and how they speak about their own experience. But at the same time, I don't want someone to tell me that how I'm talking about my own experience is wrong or the language I use to describe how I feel about my own health condition is wrong because I, you know, it works for me and that's what works for me. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how I, I tend to think about it. I couldn't have summed it up any better. I mean, that really is this discussion that is ongoing in this community. We have a community about identity and, and diagnosis and experience and, and what makes us who we are and how we allow the world to shape us and how we want to shape the world back. You know, that it, it is this push and pull, isn't it? You know, it's a constant rebalancing, but it is a dance and you're yes. doing the dance. <laughs> and 
And I wonder if you could share um, with people who are tuning in, I'm sure there are people who are tuning in who are also living with ME-CFS, right? And who um, might be living with another invisible condition that's chronic. Um, And what would your maybe top three tips be, right? For someone who is living this invisible chronic illness, invisible disability identity, what would your top three tips be for someone going through what you've been through? I think the top ones would be that you are not in it alone, even when it really, really feels like it. And I know sometimes it really does and it can be very isolating. And particularly if you're new to it, you know, you're just thrown into this new space and you don't have a clue what to do with it. And there's all these different terms floating about and you don't know what they mean. And, you know, it can be very overwhelming. Um, But that you're okay in that, you know, other people feel the same and there's lots there's lots of us out here you know there's a big community all around the world of people that maybe don't have the exact same condition or don't have the exact same severity of condition but we can relate to each other in some form of a way and I think that's what I tend to focus on with my work is I don't focus on particular symptoms per se I just talk about how those symptoms have impacted my life and I think regardless of your condition or or what stage you're at how long you've suffered with a certain condition it impacts, you know, your ability to work or your ability to study or travel or live independently or your different relationships with people, including yourself. I mean, there's a whole process of, you know, how do you feel about yourself? Your sense of self-worth is quite often, you know, changed or shaken up or how your body image is. You know, it's it's a lot to process and go through. And it happens, you know, sporadically. It can suddenly hit you after years you know but you're not alone in that and there's other people that are going through the same thing and that you're allowed to share all sides of it or you should you should be allowed to share I know not everyone has the space where you can but there will be spaces online where you can because you know we get it and we understand and even areas where we don't have the personal experience of what you're going through we'll believe you if you say you've gone through something okay, I, I believe you. And I think that's such a that's such a big thing for people is just to know that you're not, the, you're not the only one and what's happening to you is valid and how you feel about it is valid as well. Even if it's maybe more negative one day or more positive one day or somewhere in the middle, you know, you're not wrong for how, for how you feel about it. And if it varies day to day, that's not wrong either. I mean, sometimes I might wake up and feel pretty good and by the end of the day I'm in a really bad mood but you know that's just how it goes sometimes or sometimes it's Mm. the complete opposite way and I'll start the day off not feeling great and then I go online and I talk to someone that you know has a similar experience and suddenly I feel much better so it's so up and down and I think knowing that that's all right and you're not doing anything wrong it's just that is just how it goes and it will it will be like that and there is someone that will listen to you somewhere there is there's there's a whole group of us and I know it can feel so isolating and it can feel really scary. But, you know, I think sometimes knowing that you're not the only one helps, even though, you know, I would never wish this on anyone. And so many people say that to me, you know, I, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I'm so glad that I found people that understand. And we have a sort of instinctive need to find people in a sort of similar circumstance, even though it might be a negative circumstance and you wish that they hadn't gone through that. There is a comfort in knowing that you're not the only one. And I think that's what I would really want people to know is that no matter if you're, if you're new to it or not, 
it will vary, it will go up and down, you will think differently about it, but you're not the only one going through it and there will be someone somewhere that you can reach out to that just to share and like like we said, just to be honest and you know, I can't I can't fix anything for anyone, but I can listen and you know, I can be there. And I think sometimes that's just as helpful if not more so than anything else. I love that. That's so beautiful. You're not alone. There's a community out there. Yeah, you're valid. We believe you. Yep. All of it. What about, um, I'd love to know, top three things that give you unbridled joy. When you need to light yourself up, when you need a comfort activity or, you know, um, want to indulge yourself in something and treat yourself, where do you turn? So I think it, it varies a lot depending on how I feel. Um, if I feel up to it, I love getting outside that I just love it so much where I live is beautiful Scottish landscape is beautiful and you know I'm so lucky to live where I do and if I can get out into it that is like number one if I have the energy to that's what I'll choose to do go for you know a small walk or something like that outside if, if I'm able I mean not at the moment I'm not leaving the house but no. you know before <laughs> you know that's something I really miss yeah yeah I am um, being outside is such such a joyful activity for me and you can tell I mean I just walk about with a massive grin on my face you know oh, and nothing's even happening I'm just glad to, to be there so mm. I'd say if I can then that's what I like to do but obviously I spend a lot of my time in the house and before Covid and before my parents were here a lot more I was in the house myself a lot of the time you know that used to spending my time and the one thing I found really helpful is finding some sort of creative outlet for what I'm doing I mean I've always loved things like drawing it's just makes me happy and for years I didn't do it because my hands shook too much and I couldn't hold a pencil or I'd fling the pencil across the room (laughs) you know but then I found things like I could do digital drawing and that was a bit easier for me so you know I'm very lucky that I've had access to those things that have allowed me to take that hobby back up but anything creative that I feel I feel like trying you know I scrapbooked for a while or you know, my work makes me happy. And I mean, that can be a negative because sometimes I just don't, I don't feel like I'm working. So you push it too far and I don't realize I've been drawing things for hours. I'm like, oops. Um, I I do the same thing with the podcast though. Like I totally get, when you find a passion that happens to align with what you get paid for, it's hard to stop working. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's weird. It doesn't feel like work, but also you do end up just working at like strange random times and you know, I definitely do because I have to be so flexible with things, but it makes me happy. And then, you know, making stuff for the Instagram, you know, that makes me happy. Talking to people that are in a similar thing. You know, I really don't know what I would have done if I was going through this without social media. I mean, I'd be screwed. I you would just I you would just be I'd just be in this room staring at the same four walls by myself. Because quite often I'm not well enough to watch the telly or, you know, reading a book's really difficult for me or listening to something but I can sit on my phone and I find it okay to scroll through things and comment here and there and talk to people here and there and that makes me so happy like the people I've met online hands down the best thing about doing it the whole about starting the whole thing is the friends that you meet Mm. and I forget I've not actually met them you know I've never probably will never meet you just forget I think because you start knowing each other through something very personal it sort of cuts out all that small talk and suddenly you're at the heart of what is going on with someone and you're sharing so much so quickly that 
you know, you do make such great friendships online. And I'm so grateful for that. It's absolutely the best thing that, that could have happened is meeting people in a similar circumstance. And yeah. they, they can always cheer me up. You know, that I go to them and I'm so glad that, that I have them. And I'm so glad that I live in a time where that is possible because I just can't, I just cannot imagine, you know, mm. people that have been sick for years and years and didn't have access to these communities because that's that's where I meet people it's the only I don't leave the house you know that's the only way for me to make friends and I think you know sometimes it gets a bad rep of, of being on your phone all the time or being on social media all the time or why don't you do something else but that's not possible for everyone not everyone can put their phone down and go for a nice walk or can put their phone down and do some sort of wholesome activity like reading a book you know sometimes all someone can manage is being on their phone and scrolling through social media. And it's not necessarily an entirely negative thing. It brings so much joy to people. I mean, it can, obviously, it has its downsides, but it brings me joy. And I'm, you know, if I spend the day scrolling through my phone, then so be it. Yes. That's just how it is sometimes. Sometimes, exactly. Sometimes that is just how it is. Now, what is your ask for listeners today? What can they do to support you and the community that you live and commune with all the time? Um, in the work that you continue to do? So the work that I, I mean, like I said, I do I do freelance work now, but the community online is like my number one. I never want to stop doing that. Um, and I love meeting new people online and, and learning from people. And I have people that find my account all the time and they just stumble across it. And you know, the number one comment I get is, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I found this because this is what I needed to see. I needed to read this today. And as much as I you know, I'm sorry that people are going through something difficult where they need to hear these sorts of things like you are valid, rest counts, you don't have to be productive all the time. You know, I know what it's like to need to hear that. And I think that's why I make the work that I do. It's, it's stuff I needed to hear myself. If it wasn't, I needed to hear it yesterday, then I needed to hear it 10 years ago when I was 16 and I had no idea what was happening to me. So that's sort of what I do. So I love meeting new people online and helping people like that's what I that's why I do it I, I like the fact that it helps people so I'll I'll continue to do it yeah and it's so people more. get on there and like it and comment and yeah. get involved yeah 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 yeah. Uh, yeah I really like talking to everyone and you know I get so many messages from people and it's it is such a community I think I'm really proud of the community that's there because it's very understanding and people are really nice and you know we all are there to support each other and it's my favorite thing when I see people making friends in the comments it's my favorite when Mm. people meet people with similar experiences or the same condition and people relate to each other it's a really nice space I I, I I try really hard to make sure that it's a a pleasant space for people Mm. to be understanding and people it's a safe space for people to to share I mean people do share very honestly about the ups and the downs and you know, it's a place that people go to, um, you know, when things are difficult, because I think we all need that. We need a space to go to, to share honestly. Um, and that's why I keep doing it. And that's why I've built on it from there. I mean, that's why I now work with different charities and things to raise that message and do work for them. And that's why I, I recently started a clothing line. I do t-shirts and mm-hmm. I, do, I do prints. And, you know, the, the number one bestseller I have is a T-shirt and it says, everything hurts and I feel like death. <laughs> and it's surrounded by these flowers shapes. <laughs> and everyone loves it because they say that this does the talking for me. You know, if I am not well enough to do it, to say it myself, people wear it to the doctors, people wear it to appointments. Fabulous. And it's just that sort of sums up 
the community that I have online of people that are just very honest about how they feel about things. And that's not a negative, even if you're going through something negative. We're all just sharing and we're all sort of trying to have a laugh about it, but we're not making light of it. We all recognise the fact that it's a really difficult situation that we're in. Um, and it's so lovely to have a community like that. And I just hope I can continue to grow it and continue to build it. And, you know, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. So, I mean, who knows? I'm excited to see what will happen next because it's just morphed into its sort of own thing as time's gone on. So, I mean, who knows? I've done it for two years now. So two years down the line, who knows what will be happening? But I, yeah. I'll, I want to keep doing it. I feel really lucky that I've sort of stumbled upon something that I'm really passionate about and I want to do forever you know I, I have friends that are healthy and they have the exact opposite problem to me and that they have all the physical capabilities to do whatever they want they're just not entirely sure what that is yet you know I have the opposite problem yeah. I know exactly what I want yeah <laughs> and I, I know what I want to be doing and I found it and it's just going to take me longer I think to to do stuff with it and to build it but that's fine by me I mean who says it has to be done by a certain age or or whatever I'm just I'm just going to roll with it and we'll just see what happens yeah I mean you're so good at being in the present moment and that in and of itself is such a huge note for everyone who's tuning in you know like I think we spend a lot of time in the past you know the person we might have been at one point or in the future what will it look like you know but what if we're just here in the moment right now and we find people who get that and we just keep living through it. Um, having that perspective, I think, is so important. And yeah, I'd, I'd love if you could remind everyone where they can find you and find your work as well. Yeah, so my Instagram is where I'm mainly, where my work mainly is, and that's this thing we call recovery. And that's my website as well. It's this thing we call recovery.com. Um, that's where I sort of place everything that I'm up to, you know, work that I'm doing, different projects and things. That's where it, it all goes. It all goes on there. So the blog isn't, as current anymore but it's, it's all up there for anyone to read through you know if they're new to it I you know I just keep it all up whether it's not being particularly updated anymore there's a whole host of things on there that I hope will help people um no matter what kind of stage they're at or whether they've you know found community or are new to it or whatever it might be I think hopefully there's something there that that you can relate to and is helpful love that. Jenny, is there anything else you'd like to share with anyone before I set you free? Um, I just think I would like to remind people again that, you know, it's it's a really difficult thing that a lot of us are going through. And it's all right if that's getting to you and you don't have to be, you don't have to find a silver lining it all the time and you don't have to have a positive spin to things. I know we've spoken about having other people you know other people don't need to find that for you but you don't always have to find that yourself either and if you're going through something particularly difficult it's all right if it's just difficult and you're just getting through it and there isn't a positive to it that you can see right now there isn't you know you don't want to you can't find it that's fine too and um just hopefully in time things things ease but I always say to people online that I hope today's being kind to you because I don't know if it's going to be good to you. I don't know whether you're having a good day or a bad day, but I hope the day's being kind to you. So I hope whoever's listening that your day's been kind to you. Beautifully said. Jenny McGiven, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. And I'm so excited to share your work with more people 
out here in the ether um, because it's been so important to me and so important to so many members of our Spoonie community. So thank you for all that you do um, and for creating that safe space for all of us to just be here right now. Jenny McGibbon. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.